Thanks for checking out this episode of the Christ Alone podcast. What we'll be listening to today is a, a sermon I preached uh, several years ago, and I've decided to pull them out of the closet and share them here for my Christ Alone audience. The series that I'm sharing here is called uh, Seven Sayings from the Cross. It's based on the seven last words or sayings of Jesus as he hung on the cross, Good Friday. So, as always, thanks for listening to the Christ Alone podcast. If you would like any more information on the gospel, if you have any questions, or like to comment any further on the content of the Christ Alone podcast, please get a hold of me. I would love to hear any feedback. And about the easiest way to get a hold of me is on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Dolacek, D-O-L-E-C-H-E-C-K. Or if you've found this podcast some other way, the podcast feed is christalone.podbean.com. And I'd love to hear from you. So without any further ado, here is the sermon from the series, Seven Sayings from the Cross. 28 through 27. This morning, we're looking at the, continuing our series in the seven words from the cross. Christ speaking seven final words on the cross. They aren't the seven last words of Jesus, but they're the seven last words that he speaks from the cross. So, um, we're going to look at those two. This, this is the fifth word, and um, this is the fifth saying of Christ. We've gone through five so far or through four so far, and this is his fifth word. We've got two more to go to, to round out the um, seven last sayings. Let's read here in John chapter 19, verses 28 and 29. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch, and held it to his mouth. I thirst. Two short words that Christ speaks here. And in verse 28. His fifth saying from the cross. I thirst. Christ at this point has been through. An unbelievable amount of suffering. To get to this point. The, the physical exhaustion. That he would be under at this point. Would be overwhelming. When you think about. The beatings that he has suffered, the scourging that he has suffered, the stay up all night for this trial, um, being carted around first thing in the morning, Pilate into Herod and back and forth, the exhaustion that Christ would be suffering would be overwhelming. We, um, we don't really thirst, uh, physically I think one of our, one of the, it's a great benefit for us as Americans that really if you're thirsty, you rarely have very far to go to have your thirst quenched, right? If you're thirsty this morning, you've got 20 steps into the lobby and we have a nice cold water fountain for you to get refreshed on. And it's a great blessing for us in America that we have basically an unlimited supply of clean water that at times we pour a glass of water that I might have a glass of water here to preach with and I get done preaching, don't want the rest of it, and we'll just simply dump it out into the sewer because I have so much good, clean water to refresh myself with. A lot of the world doesn't know that. Uh, it doesn't have that experience, right? We're very blessed in America to have that sort of refined system. But on the other side, I think that it, at times it, it leads towards our ignorance of really comprehending 
at the desperation that comes with thirst. The desperation that comes with thirst. And you've maybe known it a little bit um, if you've been involved in sports in any way, shape, or form, and you've been doing a workout or you just work out on your own and you get done with a workout and haven't been drinking, you get very thirsty, right? Right. You get very thirsty and you've done any running or anything like that, you get very thirsty, but it, it isn't the... It isn't the drink or die thirst, right? There's a difference between I'm really thirsty, I haven't drank for a half an hour, I need to go get another glass of clean water from my fountain. There's a difference between that and I've got to drink or I die. And this is where Christ is at in His exhaustion. I thirst. Um, this, this, this unquenchable, this, un, this unimaginable thirst has set in. It isn't surprising to God that it's set in. We just quickly look at these couple of scriptures. If you want to have your mind blown away by the um, sovereignty of God and God's moving and authority over all things, Psalm 22 and Psalm 69 with Isaiah 53 are amazing passages to read how far in advance God knew exactly what was going to happen at the crucifixion. God was not surprised Jesus became thirsty on the cross. Psalm 22.15 says this, says, My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. My tongue sticks to my jaws. That kind of desperate thirst where your mouth is literally, your tongue is literally sticking to the roof of your mouth. And Psalm 69 as well, a few places here. Versus this is very particular down to, notice, down to the kind of drink Jesus is going to get when he gets thirsty on the cross. Psalm 69 verse 3 says, I am weary with my crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim waiting for my God. In verse 21, they gave me poison for food and for my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. And we see from John 19, 29, that on the cross, Christ hanging there, when he cries out he's thirsty, they have the choice drink of the lower class of that time, which is a sour wine, is what the lower class would drink, the soldiers that were there, that they put it on a sponge and lift it up to him. God is not surprised in this moment. God is not surprised in this moment, but Christ, uh, hundreds of years before Christ's crucifixion, God knows this is what's going to happen. And we see here this picture, Christ fulfilling Scripture on the cross, crying out, I thirst, and them giving Him sour wine to drink. Um, my thesis this morning is just quite... I'm just going to lay it all on the line in case you stop listening at some point here in the middle, which is always a risk. Uh, I can get long-winded. So I'm just going to lay it all out on the line right off the bat so that you can get what I'm going to say in a kind of a general sense, hopefully you'll keep listening. But if you don't, this is what you need to hear. The first point is that you are thirsty. And we'll go into deeper detail, hopefully. But everyone in this world is thirsty. We are thirsty. We have a, an appetite, a thirst that is needing to be quenched. We Christ was satisfied. Christ and God and His sufficiency in the Trinity had everything that He needed. And that's an important point we'll get to. But you're thirsty. Christ was satisfied in eternity past. For all of time, forever, Christ has had everything He's ever needed. God has had everything He's ever needed. We, uh, God, God was totally satisfied in Himself in eternity past. 
Christ became thirsty. We see from Philippians, right, that that Christ did not count equality with God a thing to be held on to, to be grasped, but He emptied Himself, taking on the form of a human servant and being born in human likeness. And so Christ becomes thirsty. And we see this clearly on the cross here in John chapter 19. Christ became thirsty so that in Him you might be satisfied. That's my big thesis. We call this substitutionary atonement. That's the big word we like to use in Christianity. Substitutionary atonement. We we call it, another thing we call it is the great exchange where that Christ takes my thirst and gives me His satisfaction. Christ takes my sin and gives me His righteousness, right? And we call that the great exchange, what the little kids learn. And that's my big thesis statement. And I, I want you, I want us, and I want myself to get these um, this truth, to see this truth, because you are one of at least three people this morning. You are one of three different types of people. And there might be more categories. I'm not exhaustive or even that intelligent. So, But these are the three categories that I could come up with that you're most likely one of these categories of people who are thirsty. You might be a fresh, poor kind of thirsty person. So you're, you're a fresh, poor. You just poured a glass of that which you think will satisfy you. And you think you found that next new thing that is going to finally satisfy your thirst. You've seen um, the new iPhone 4S and it has that new feature that you can talk to it and, and, and you can just tell it what to do. Like, um, give me the direction to Jamie's Coffee Mill and it will tell and it will just do it on your phone and it shows you. All you have to do is talk to it and that's that's incredible. It has this new fancy software on it. And so you see this new toy. You might be a fresh, poor kind of person that you've just seen a new toy and you think, when I get that, then I'll be satisfied. You do that with toys. People do that with hobbies all the time. That they think, um, if I could get really good at this thing, then maybe you're a fresh, poor kind of person that, well, if I can just learn the guitar better, or if I could get to this sort of status on my guitar playing, I can be a fresh, poor person that says, this this status will satisfy me. People do this with, with their jobs. People do this with their relationships. This is, this is rampant in our culture where people are constantly going from person to person to person thinking that the problem in the relationship is obviously not me. It's obviously them. And if I could get a new one of them, a fresh, poor person says, if I could get a new relationship, then I will be satisfied. And... Um, Junior high doesn't just stay in junior high. This is rampant in the junior high high school arena, right? Where they're just constantly, if I just had that boyfriend or that girlfriend, then I'd be satisfied. They're a fresh, poor kind of kid. And unfortunately, adults grow up with that same mentality. If I could just find that next person, my next wife, my next husband, the next person that I'm with, they'll be the one that will satisfy me. And they're fresh, poor people. My plea to you, if you're a fresh, poor kind of individual, don't bother chasing wells full of sand. You were made for God, and anything smaller than Him, which everything is, anything smaller than Him, and everything is smaller than Him, anything smaller than Him is not going to satisfy. It's not going to satisfy. If you're a fresh, poor person, I pray that you would hear this morning that anything smaller than God, and what falls in the category of smaller than God? Everything. Anything smaller than God will do.
Do not be deceived. It may be a fresh glass, but it's going to end up the same way. You're a fresh, poor person. You might be a keep-buzzed person. I didn't know what else to call that. I thought about saying drunk or something like that, but this is just keep-buzzed because you're, you, you just, you're smart enough to know that if I fully gorge myself on this thing, I'll be dissatisfied by it. But you also want to enjoy it enough that you give yourself enough doses of it or keep elevating your goal high enough that you begin to believe that I can still achieve this. That the glass of chasing a relationship may not be a fresh pour for you, but you keep just enough of it going. You don't, um, you don't go all in enough that you won't be disappointed by it, but you, you elevate um, the ideal a little higher each time so that you can, you can persist in your thirst for that which doesn't satisfy. This is one of the most dangerous places to be, I think. That you um, aren't in the place where you are disenfranchised or, or, or aware of how empty this is, but you persist in this, this futile chasing after that which will not satisfy. Never, giving, never getting far enough into it to really realize that it's never going to satisfy. And it's a very dangerous place. The third type is you might be a bottom out person in this place this morning. You might be, this is all people who are thirsting. You might be a fresh poor thirster. You might be a keep buzzed thirster. You might be a bottomed out thirster. And this is the kind of person that God in His grace, and it is a grace, God in His grace has finally emptied that cup that you've been trying to fill yourself on. And it is the grace of God. You are in maybe the best position of anybody in this room, that, of anyone who's thirsty, is the person who finally realizes this, this avenue that I've been pursuing has ran dry and it hasn't given me what I want. You're in a great spot. You're the person who went through the fresh pour of a relationship, kept buzz, or you were the person the fresh pour on a financial status or financial situation. Or if I had this certain job or if I could whatever, if I was good at this certain thing, you went through the stages of it was a brand new cup for you and then you tried to moderate it and now finally you realize that thing that I thought I wanted that would satisfy me, it is run dry. You are in a great place this morning because the Gospel, God does satisfy. And my plea to you, if you're a bottomed out person, is not to run back to be a fresh poor. A, a person who's going to start getting a new cup of something else. Run to Christ. He is the thirst quencher. The good news, we'll, we'll move on. The good news for every person, and this is the truth of the Gospel. This is back to my thesis statement. If you're one of those people, I have good news for you this morning. The Gospel is real good news. You'll get lots of news. You can go home this afternoon and watch all kinds of commercials and people will sell you tons of things to try to get you to satisfy your thirst. It's what they, it's what they market everything off of. Uh, Apple knows, I hate to pick on Apple, they know that you're thirsty for the next new fancy thing. So they put on really cool commercials. People dance around with the latest music and you think, oh, that will make me, um, that will satisfy me. You are, there is a thirst that exists in all of mankind in, in levels much deeper than physical thirst. We are desperate to be filled, and it is a quench that can, it is a thirst that can only be quenched by God Himself. You were made for God. You were made for God. There is, when, when God created the earth, He made it so that Adam and Eve would be in fellowship with Him. And the whole point of creation was for them to be in fellowship 
with Him. And Adam and Eve did that for a while, walked with God, right? And then at some point in time, Satan tempted Eve and Adam and they fell and sinned into the world. And that fellowship, that communion, that relationship with God was broken. And that which they were made to drink from continually was cut off. And they became thirsty people. If I could put it in those framework, when they, when they became sinners, they became thirsty people. Thirsting for that relationship to be reconciled between them and God again. They became thirsty people. Sin broke what the way this is supposed to run. Sin broke it and it creates in everyone's sense, because we know from Romans 5, right, that in Adam all have sinned. All, because Adam is all of our father, every one of us is, that doesn't work either, is the father of all of us. We all have that sin and we've inherited that thirst. And there's a thirst that cannot be quenched any other way than in Christ. Why are people the way that they are? I know that you've all asked this. You've asked it of everyone out there. <laughs> We've all said, why is everyone like that? Well, that's just, why are they so messed up? Everyone is thirsty. Everyone is thirsty. We can, we can frame that into lots of different ways that we want to say it. They're thirsty. And in their sin, they try to fulfill it in countless insufficient ways. They chase numerous finite things to try to fill an infinite space. That was created for God alone. Jeremiah um, chapter 2.13 uh, God says that His people have committed two wrongs. It says, uh, For my people, be appalled, O heavens. This is verse 12. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked and be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. My people have committed two evils. They've forsaken Me, the fountain of living waters, and have done what? They've hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that cannot hold that can hold no water. Um, a thirst that people are trying to satisfy a thirst on numerous finite things that cannot fill. A thirst that apart from Christ will last forever. Um, and I'm trying to go to the parable of Lazarus and the rich man. The the beggar sits at the man's uh, the rich man's gate, and and they don't the dogs come and and lick his wounds. I mean, it's just a terrible state. And and the Lazarus dies and, and goes to be with Abraham, and the rich man dies and goes to hell. And what the rich man says is he can see somehow. He says, um, Abraham, send Lazarus over with just some water on the tip of his finger that he might cool my mouth, that he might dip his finger in water and put it on my tongue, that my thirst might be momentarily satisfied. Hell is a place of eternal thirst. Eternal thirst where you're never satisfied. You think that you think it's rough here trying to satisfy yourself in a million things smaller than Christ. You think that's hard to bear. Hell is an eternity of thirst of never being satisfied. And apart from Christ, the people that you look out at here and say they're thirsty, they're going to thirst forever apart from Christ. And if that's you in this place this morning that aren't having your th- that is not having your thirst satisfied in Christ, and do not go to Christ to have your thirst satisfied, your fate is an eternity of thirst. Thirst, thirst, thirst that will never be satisfied. We are thirsty people. We are thirsty people. Christ was satisfied. 
And I, the only reason why I want to make this point is that you can't give away what you do not possess. You can't give away what you possess. God is not a needy God. Like he need, God did not need this. He didn't. He created it. It fell. And he had every right to at that point wipe it out. But he didn't in his grace and his mercy. He let it go. Common grace prevailed. And he has sustained the earth. Acts 17.25 said he's not, he is not served by human hands as though he needed anything is what basically the, the gist of it is there. I'll get it right. Acts 17, verse 25, Nor is he served, God doesn't live in temples made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Christ in eternity past was totally satisfied. And the reason why we need to know that is because because Christ has totally satisfied himself, he has it to give away. The satisfaction that you're looking for is found in no one else, it's possessed by no one else, except for Christ, God, the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, in eternity past, was totally satisfied. Doesn't need anything. Is totally satisfied. And so what He has, you can't give away what you don't have. Christ has this. The satisfaction that you're looking for, that is eternally and infinitely satisfied, Christ has it. The thing that you're looking for in all of your finite pursuits of all sorts of things smaller than Christ, Christ has has. Christ has. He was satisfied. Thirdly, Christ became thirsty. Hebrews chapter 4. This is a real thirst. In the measure that you are aware how real this thirst was, you'll get how real the satisfaction is for us. Hebrews 4.15 says that Jesus, uh, and it's talking about sufferings here and temptations, what kind of the gist of the, the context is here, but he says, for we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but was tempted, but one who is, in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And temptation comes in, in that thirst, and having it satisfied by something else. And Christ is not ignorant to your thirst. Christ is not ignorant to what it's like to be thirsty. On the cross, Christ suffered thirst. This is a real, real, real thirst. It's a physical thirst. It is a thirst for satisfaction. Christ at this point, knowing that all had been fulfilled, there's a great mystery going on on the cross here, but is, is thirsting, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Crying out, I thirst. And that for which I was meant to be in communion with, I'm thirsting for. I thirst. Christ on the cross became thirsty the great scripture of the great exchange, 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. And I don't want to play with the text, but so I'm not quoting 2 Corinthians 5.21, but if I could shift that over, I would say, God made Him who knew no thirst to know thirst for us so that in Him we could be fully satisfied. So that in Christ, the satisfaction you're searching for is found. Christ became thirsty so that we might be truly satisfied you can read this we don't have time to go through it john chapter 4 13 is a story of the woman at the well we do need to look at it john 4 13 i need to flip there at least jesus says a couple of interesting things just quickly john 4 13 and 14 he says um jesus said to the woman at the well everyone who drinks of this water the water from the well 
We'll be thirsty again. If the source that you're going to exists here, you're going to thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The water that Christ gives, if you'll drink it, you'll never be thirsty again. I think it's interesting, John 6.35, we flipped over there quickly. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And we see a parallel there between drinking and believing. We see a parallel there between drinking and believing. Christ says, whoever drinks of me will never thirst again. And he says in John 6.35, whoever believes in me will never thirst again. So the question that I want to ask is we often phrase, do you believe in Jesus? And everyone says, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. But if we can phrase it, are you drinking Christ? Are you drinking Christ? And Piper switched that up for me talking about, do you treasure Christ? Not just do you believe? Because you'll find scores of people who will say, yeah, I believe in Christ. Do you treasure Christ? Is He the pinnacle of everything you can have? And my question from this text is, are you drinking Christ? When you're hungering and thirsting for satisfaction, are you drinking Christ? This, do you drink Christ? And I don't want this to be some sort of, oh, I don't even know what he's talking about. Drinking Christ, it's some weird, I don't even know. When you're in a place of, I'm dissatisfied, I need something more. That thing that you need is Christ. It's Christ. It is reconciliation that I have with God through Christ. It is the thing that you're seeking for. And every moment, the thirst the thirst that is driving all of your lesser thirsts is the thirst for God. And that thirst for God is not found in, there's one mediator between God and man, and it is the man Jesus Christ. What then should we do? Just in conclusion here. What should we do? There's, there's three things I got. When, if, if, what should we do in light of, I'm thirsty. Christ was satisfied. Christ became thirsty that I might become satisfied. What should I do? The first thing, you gotta turn from all those wells that you're seeking after to satisfy you. Um, there are broken cisterns that you're trying to fill, fill yourself with. And to be honest with you, it isn't cute. Um, sometimes we minimalize the severity of sin. And trying to fulfill yourself, saying to God, you're not a well that satisfies, but I think this thing you created is, is rebellion against a holy God. It is idolatry in its highest form saying that, God, I'm not sure you're enough. I'm going to try to make this girl be enough for me in my marriage. I'm trying to make my wife be enough for me. God, I don't think you're enough for me. I'm going to make um, human praise be enough for me. God, you're not enough for me. I'm going to make the latest toy be the thing that satisfies me. That isn't just, oh, well, I kind of messed up in a few of those areas. This is serious. It's rebellion against a holy God. You must turn from all the wells that you're seeking after to satisfy you. And it's for your good. They will leave you dry. Confess it. Turn from it. Repent. Third thing, you drink from the well that is Christ. It's one thing, and Edwards maybe said this, it's one thing to know that honey is sweet. It is quite another thing to taste it. It is quite another thing to taste it. And it's one thing for all of us to sit in this place this morning and say, yeah, I know Christ is what's truly satisfying. And it's a different thing to walk out these doors to as you sit in this chair listening to me preach, really drink 
Christ. When we go to do communion this morning, when we get into praise and worship and song, when you go to lunch, when you lay down tonight, drink Christ. My heart is that we would know truly and truly know that Christ can satisfy you. I want you to know that. It's a real reality. But I want you to know it truly that Christ is my satisfaction. And lastly, turn, drink, pour. This world is full. This community, and I'm, I'm not, I'm, the world is. It is. This community is full of thirsty people. You have people in your influence and, and that you have contact with that are dying of thirst. They are dying of thirst. And they will forever remain thirsty apart from that which they're really thirsting for, which is God. Which they only get that thirst met by faith in Christ Jesus. They're only going to get... I mean, they, in order for the, those thirsty people out there... You need unbelieving friends. You need to get yourself around some thirsty people. You need to engage people that are, that are thirsty because they need someone to say to them, you're thirsty, I'm thirsty, let's drink together. They need people in their life who are drinking from Christ as well so that they can say, you're thirsty, I know where that thirst can be satisfied. You're thirsty. I know where that thirst can be satisfied. Find thirsty people and bring them to the fountain of life with you. Fallen man, which we all are, fallen man will forever search, will forever search for what is only found in Christ. And, and to, to keep quiet on the thirst satisfier that Christ is, is to condemn people to search forever and what will never quench their thirst. And the truth of the Gospel is that there is one who came and took the thirst that I have that I might be, full, might be fully satisfied in Him. Turn from every well that leaves you dry. Drink truly from Christ. And find people poor and say, you're thirsty, I'm thirsty. Let's drink together. Christ is truly, Christ is truly satisfying. Christ is truly satisfying. He's truly satisfying. And the, the call from Christ on the cross is that He suffered the thirst that you all have. You all have got it. He suffered that thirst that we might be truly satisfied in Him. And the, the opportunity for you to be truly satisfied is right here, moving and breathing in this place right now this morning for you to be satisfied in Christ and in Christ alone.